We are in the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1. Our focus now is a new part of the Trinity's plan, 11 through 14. So if you would, please follow in the reading of the Word of God. Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of His glory in Him. You also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who has given you as a pledge of our inheritance, which in the view of the redemption of God's own possessions, to the praise of His glory. Father, help our temporal minds and hearts to understand this. And what an awesome privilege and what an awesome honor it is to just be saved. But yet, Father, you and your infinite wisdom placed your people into the body of Christ as your plan is being fulfilled and lived out before our very eyes. Father, the Apostle Paul was so overwhelmed about this text. I pray, Father, that each of us, as we understand this, as we look at this, will be overwhelmed by what has been blessed upon the people of God. Help us, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. We've been moving our way through this. Verse 3 through 14 is a sentence. It's a singular sentence. It's 202 words. My calculations, Paul had a a long run-on sentence in the book of Galatians. But I think this one is the longest. I think it's the longest single sentence in the scriptures. And it started in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's how it starts. I shared with you that I wanted to do this letter because the first three chapters deal with eyeball deep theology. The last three chapters says in light of this theology, here's how you should be. And that's uh, one of the things that I see is missing in the evangelical community is that I don't think we know what we possess. I have had the opportunity to travel uh, outside of the country, some odd places. And one of the things I've noticed in the church that I have been in is they understand this. I had an opportunity to teach in Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan is uh, 98% Muslim, and the government is Stalinistic. Actually, Joseph Stalin put the family in who's in charge of the government right now. And I could not understand how, how in the heck, how do you make that work? Oil keeps everything working. And so that's, that's how it worked. And then when I went in, they told me that when you get there, you will be teaching every pastor in the country. And I'm like, uh-oh, there's some serious intimidation stepping in there. And they all gathered, 21. 21 pastors in the entire country. And I thought, well, you're braver than me. <laughs> so Because these, these, they told me before I went in, don't carry anything that looks like a Bible Make sure that whatever you got is concealed, no Christian literature or anything like that. I was like, all right, well. 
Heaven, heaven forbid. I mean, being that I was just north of Iran and south of Chechnya, okay, I'll listen. So when I read this and, and I think about the Apostle Paul, one of the amazing things that I have learned from Scripture is that it is God-breathed, man-written. So you see the personality and the passion of the human, but then you see the the power of a divine God in it. And that's always fascinated me. So as I, I, I look at this, and we're moving into a new section here, we've been dealing with the Trinity's plan. We, we were looking at the Trinity's plan for the church. He calls the church the body of Christ. Why? Because we are in Him. Okay? If you're saved, you are in Christ already. But in before the foundations of the world, in verse 4, he says, this was planned before I created anything. This is the Trinity's plan. So you see the Trinity's plan for the body. You see the Trinity's plan for blessing. But you also see the Trinity's plan for redemption. And now we are looking at the Trinity's plan of an inheritance. And I'm laying a framework today And I'll get into the inheritance of the weeks to come. Have you ever wondered if there would be fulfillment in your life? You ever thought about that? Will I have a piece of my life that is fulfilled? You know what? I, uh, you guys know that I, I, I work sort of in the secular world and in the, uh, here, and I deal with a, a whole host of different people, and, it, and it is, it's, it's weird because I deal with people almost on a daily basis who look at life with dread. The things just ain't going the way they want it to. And I even heard a statement made this week by an individual, will our lives actually turn out to be what they could be? I thought, that's a fascinating question. And so you guys who know me understand my sort of my thinking process. So I asked him, does it seem to be potential? And he's what? Well, you're asking me if life can turn out to what it could be. Do you think there's any potential in it? And uh, (laughs) I think it befuddled him. Can life be really fulfilled? A fulfilled life. Can life have a fulfillment to it with excitement in it and live to its absolute potential? Verses 11 through 14 says it can. Because, see, if you really look at the context, remember I said this is a sentence, so I can hang the in him in the end of verse 10 in that we also have obtained an inheritance. The promise of God in Christ Jesus to everyone who believes. That's pretty slick. 
there are things that can make life meaningful. But yet I very seldom find a person who's willing to look at them. If I get this cruise, it'll be fulfilling. If I get this bigger house, it'll be fulfilling. If I get this littler house, it'll be fulfilling. If I get a new car, it'll be fulfilling. If I get an old car, it'll be fulfilling. And we're always chasing these things that we believe are going to make our life content. And you know what I have found? There's nothing in this life that can do that. Anything on this big ball does not have that capability. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy a bunch of it. And I mean, there's some awesome stuff. You know, you know, my thing is when you've seen the ocean, you take about 10 minutes, you've seen the ocean. Guess what? It does the same thing. And you can see the ocean on the Mediterranean Sea. I can see it in the Pacific. I can see it at the Atlantic. I can see it in the Gulf. And you know what? It does the same thing. Same thing. Now that I've got that out of my system. First time I went to the Mojave Desert, I was like, this is really cool. But after about an hour and a half of driving, I was like, okay, I'm done. There you go. Seen that. I went to the Grand Canyon. Look at that big ditch. You look around, you walk over here, it's still a big ditch. You walk over here, it's still a big ditch. You go on the north side, it's a big ditch. The south side, it's a big ditch. You're sitting there going, well, there you go. Next. You see what I'm trying to get at? There are some fantastic things that God has planned for those who are in Christ. Promises that God will keep. When I thought about that, I thought, you know what? We have all known people who have made promises and not kept them. Right? Even to the point today in our society, we hear the word promise. And it's easy to say, be a little skeptical. Right? Do I need to illustrate that? Okay. Actually, it's pretty safe that all of us have made promises and not kept them. Some point. I mean, if we look at our society, we look at our governments, we look at nations. How many times have they made promises for no apparent reason? We won't even talk about advertising. We've had family who's done it. There's so many who have made promises for no apparent reason. But did you know that there is one who makes promises and never breaks them? Never one of his promises, never ever has it been broken. Jesus Christ shows us that he's making these promises in 11 through 14. And in a cursory reading of this thing, it's incredible. Let me share with you something. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 9. It is the skeptics on who's keeping promises. 
Know this, first of all, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where's the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long before the earth and was formed out of water by water. Through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. Kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and one thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. But is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all would come to repentance. That's fascinating. Basically, Peter's telling us. Mockers are going to come. I run into them. I mean, I've. I've got a guy who's a, some kind of artist thing. He does, does weird art. And he says, I cannot believe, as intelligent as you are, you don't think the earth is more than 6,000 years old. And I said, really? I said, I can't believe as wealthy and as intelligent as you are, you'd believe it's more than that. And then I can give him arguments on that, and it perplexes him. And so we stay friends. I work on his Ducati, and that's the reason. (laughs) But we stay friends. Every once in a while, he'll call me up. He called me from Austria one day and says, I have a question and wanted to know about molecular entropy and things like that. And I was like, I thought you was at your parents. He says, I am. I said, all right. You're in Austria? And he said, yeah. I said, Okay. But you know what I've learned? God keeps every one of his promises. What you and I struggle with is his timing. We read a promise, we want it now. It's just like a kid the night before Christmas. All of them presents are sitting there, and I want it now. What does 12 hours mean? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. You know, I I listen to people. They will tell me when people find out I'm a pastor, they immediately want to explain to me their spiritual beliefs. I've kind of got a little thing that I say they shift into spiritual and it's, it's evidently it does something with turning your head and holding your eyes a certain way because I'm going to talk spiritual now. I, hey, whatever. But I, I don't like to tell people that I'm a pastor because people immediately want to shift into spiritual. And it's, it's a little annoying at times because I've found myself at times people will share something with me. And so I'll stand there. 
And I'll say, if you were wrong, would you want to know? Okay. I mean, and, and if sometimes they say, well, yeah, but most of the time they're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> okay. But as part of my makeup is if someone says something and it has no truth to it, it's my responsibility to say, you know, I don't think there's any truth to that. Paul writing to the Romans in chapter 4, verse 21. And being fully assured that what God has promised, he was able also to perform. There is somebody out there right now who keeps his promises and God cannot lie. And I think there's times that we kind of get into this skeptical thing on, is this really legit? I've had discussions. You, you, you look at the Middle East and people say, well, it's a mess. Well, it's been that way since Abraham. I mean, you act like there's something new showed up. There is, and I had a friend who worked for the Saudis, and he says, they've been warring tribes since existence. The only difference is now they've got oil money and they can buy automatic weapons. But other than that, it's still warring tribes. And I was like, oh, okay. And he says, but you understand this. And I said, what's that? He says, God promised it would be that way. We don't want to think about that promise, do we? We don't want to think about the promise when Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulations. That's a promise. Anybody not suffering some tribulation? Or you just come out of it? Or are you just going into it? Or you're holding your breath while you're in it? Paul is telling us in Ephesians between verses 3 and 14, that one sentence, one sentence, 202 words. I was reading uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones on this text, and he made a quote that I thought was fascinating. Quote, Paul's heart is so full of praise, he can't find a period anywhere, unquote. I thought, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. That's good. But then I think about us because we started out in verse 3 saying, Blessed be the Lord. Blessed is the word we get eulogy from. Speak well of. How many of us speak well of God? We're usually badgering him. I was up at Columbine the day of the shooting. And I was overwhelmed at all the people blaming God for what happened. Why did God allow this to happen? Well, wait a minute. That's, that's like saying the gun did it. Do you not understand the depravity of man? Man at his best, you end up with Columbine. And I don't understand when something good happens, who takes credit for it? When something bad happens, who gets blamed for it? How do I bless God if I have that mindset? Paul is pouring out astonishing praise. He is praising God for wonderful promises. 
Amazing promises. These promises are made in the person of Jesus Christ. One of the things that is astonishing about, if you read any of Paul's writings, he is just completely freaked out. That's a theological term. Freaked out that he's in Christ. He just can't grasp that. He uses it all the time. I'm in him. I'm in Christ. And every believer is, though some don't act like it. What is Paul's heart? Verse 3. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I shared with you, what are the heavenly places? Well, those are only the places where God is. That's all. So you have been blessed, if you're a believer, with every spiritual blessing wherever God's at. Which is kind of fascinating. Isaiah 40 says, the water fits in the hollow of his hand, the span of his hand is creation. So where is God at? He's got it covered. He's got it covered. Verse 5, predestined us as adoption as sons. Adoption as sons. The Roman law at the time of the writing of Ephesians is, is that if a father had a child born, they would bring the child to the father. If the father wanted it, he'd hold his thumb up. If the father didn't want a daughter, he could put his thumb down and they would kill the child. Okay? You can't do that in adoption by Roman law. A Roman law says, I have chosen willfully to do this and I'll take it now. And so when you adopt it, regardless of what shame that child could end up bringing you, you're stuck with it. Okay, that's the term the Apostle Paul uses. We are adopted as son, regardless how we may shame our heavenly father. He's stuck with us. Kind of loses something, doesn't it? Verse seven. In him, we have redemption, redemption. We have been bought out of the slave market of sin. That's redemption. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. How rich is God? That's how much his grace is. All right. So when you get that dollar figure figured out, let me know. Okay. Note that it's not out of his riches. It is according to his riches. Big difference. Big difference. Verse 9. He's made known to us the mystery of his will. You ever thought about that? How many times have you been asked? (laughs) I don't know what God's will is. Well, it's the text in there that says this is the will of God. (laughs) It's. You know, I can give you a whole bunch of lists where they are. You're not going to like them, but that's what it says. The will of God is your sanctification, your holiness. That's the will of God. You working on that? Because if you ain't working on that, don't worry about the new Mercedes. But I look through this and I see Paul's heart. And I think about these promises made in Christ Jesus. And I say, no wonder he's full of praise. 
He can't hardly stand himself. Dr. Jones said that he can't even find a period. And I thought, how different would the church look if our hearts were tasked to praising God? As the Apostle Paul does here. What an impact. What an impact. In chapter 2 of this letter, Paul explains how the church operates in the world. This is a church book. I shared with you the word Ephesus in some of the original manuscripts isn't there in verse 1. It's written to the church. At Ephesus or the church. There's no specific problem that he's dealing with. How does the church operate in this world? Well, I'll tell you what. I could take a thousand Christians and say, how does the church operate in this world? And I'll get a thousand answers. They'll all be different and probably none of them will be right. Chapter 2 says, this is how we are to live in this world. How do I live in this world? Chapter 2 says, how do you and I touch the lives of others? Do you know that? Every one of you that is here right now has the opportunity to touch the eternal destination of individuals. That I'll never touch them. I don't know them. You know them. They know you. But chapter 1, Paul is not dealing with time. Paul is dealing with eternity. Eternity. Verse 4 says, before the foundation of the world. That's eternity. Before he spoke existence into being. That's eternity. He is dealing with the eternals. This sentence, 3 through 14, basically is divided into three parts. Paul is showing us God's planning of history. Had a discussion a number of years ago with a guy who had bought hook, line, and sinker into open theism. Okay, now, open theism, I don't want to get into it because it's just heresy. But basically, it just says that God got it all running. And now, as we kind of squirrel around in it, he learns from us on what he should be doing. And you're like, wait, wait a minute, whoa. And... When he was, he had this all, he was all passionate about it. This is, this is good stuff. This all makes sense. And I went to this text. 3 through 14. I says, not according to this. It don't fit. He's got this thing planned. Paul is showing us God's planning of history. Have you ever thought about that? God took the apostle Paul writing a letter to a church in Ephesus so that you and I would understand what history is. That's amazing to me. As God, He is master planning history. You ever thought about that? To the jot and the tittle. And you know what? There's a key to His plan. Major key. And is the building of the church. The creating of the church. Daniel spoke of it without speaking of it. Between the 69th and 70th week of Daniel, there's a gap. We call it the church age. Why? The Jews didn't understand that. They didn't comprehend it. All right, they were still out trying to 
kill pigeons and things to try to make God not mad at them. The body of Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those he foreknew, he predestined to become what? Conformed into the image of his son. You know what we call that? The church. The set apart people. The peculiar people. Paul is telling us here, God before the foundations of the world was putting together the church. He named them by name before he ever created space, time, or matter. Three words in this sentence that separated into three parts. This plan that God, Godhead, came up with. The first word, Verse 4, he chose us in him. Foreknowledge, he foreknew, he chose, he elected. People get irritable about that. I've never seen anything like it. Well, that just means, no, it means exactly what it said. He chose, why? He planned this. You know what that means? You didn't. He planned it. I also see that, do you realize... How much value a Christian is if he chose you? How much worth you have that God says, I know that one. Not only are you of worth, he did this before he created anything. That's a sense of worth. We were master planned by God into the church before the world began. You are not here by accident. You are not in the church by accident. People say, well, why do you have such a passion for the church? Oh, duh. This was his plan. I like to be in what he is planning. I'm not one of these guys who says, I'm going to get out here on a limb and God, I hope you bless this. I'm one of these guys that says, God, what is it you're doing and how can I hook into it? I'm a fraidy cat. Our sense of worth, we were master planned into the church before the world began. Second word we have there is verse 7. Wonderful word, redemption. This is not S&S green stamps. Okay. Those he chose, those he elected, he redeemed, bought out of sin. God's went to the slave block and bought him out of sin. Okay. Thirdly, what we will begin our adventure in next week is the word you see there, verse 11, an inheritance, an inheritance. The reason that he chose us was to redeem us. That was to give us an inheritance. To give us a great and precious promise. Remember what I shared? When I look at God's promises, I'm not skeptical. Think about it. Let me ask you a question. 
There's a plethora of jobs going on in this room right now that people have for different vocations. Okay? Uh, well, in some cases, some of us are retired. I retired three times, but nobody cares. But anyway. But I, I share this with you because we are all doing different things and we are doing it for what reason? You ever thought about that? I've had conversations with people that says, well, my job feels meaningless. You should try mine. <laughs> Why do you feel that way? Did you ever think that maybe God says, hey, I want you to do this. Why? Because I will have you touch the eternal destination of this person and you don't know it. He chose us to redeem us so that he would give us an inheritance. Jesus said, I am about my father's work. Okay, if you are in the body of Christ, okay, let me see if I can make that clear. If you are saved, then you are adopted as sons. You should be doing what? About my father's work. And you know what? You know, we've got guys who have been in the military. We've got guys who are in the military. And you still are about your father's work. We have people who are in construction. You should be about your father's work. We've got people who work with their hands. Be about your father's work. Now, you guys that are working with computers, I'm praying for you. Because I just, boy, I don't know how that works. But anyway, I'll just, just let you know that I'm praying for you. Because I they've told me that... Computers will make my life easier. And you know what? That's another one of them broken promises. Okay? I'm just telling you. Okay? If you'd have seen my secretary this morning with our copier, I was ready to lay hands on it and cast out demons. That's the only thing I could think of anymore. Because I can only unplug it and plug it back in so many times it didn't fix it. I don't know. <laughs> What is it you're chasing? What is it? What is it that you would say right now that you are pursuing with the most interest? What is it? You know what? I guarantee you I could go right down the line with every one of you and it all be different. But what are you chasing? What is it that you put most of your energy into? Have you ever seen a, a young couple that first starts dating? There's no doubt in your mind what they are pursuing. Right? And then all of a sudden, they're married and don't even like each other. And you're like, well, what, what was all the pursuit for that? But I, I, used, I see that a lot. Ah, well, we get along. What do you mean you get along? You used to pursue it. Now what? Listen, I want to share with you something. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians says that we are in an earthen vessel, a clay pot. Okay? And we have a precious treasure that is inside. Okay? It's a fascinating thought if you think about it. 
Do you realize, whoever you are, regardless of your age right now, okay, or your health condition or whatever it is you want to talk about, you are in a house that is temporary. My house is uh, 30 years old and driving me nuts because I'm changing out fence posts and you know, you put fence posts in the ground one time. I'm like, that ought to be there until I'm gone. And now I'm on my second row of fence posts. And if you never change fence posts that are broke off in the ground in Colorado clay, you've really missed an exciting part of life. <laughs> because it will take your faith and sanctification to limits you can't imagine. But I look at the house and I say, you know, it's temporary. It's temporary. It's temporary. But I want to share with you this. Every one of you in your earthen vessels right now, God love you. It's temporary. I've had people come and ask me about getting married. I'm going to get married. And I think I found my girl, my soulmate and all the rest of it. And they look at me. And he says, what advice do you have? And I said, simple, I have one advice. And they said, what's that? If it's a man, go look at her mother. What? That's what it's going to grow into. If it's a woman, go look at his dad. That's what it's going to grow into. Well, wait a minute. No, I'm just telling you. Just telling you. The other side of that coin is, what is the spiritual condition of the parents? Because that's the spiritual condition of the person you're marrying. Okay, remember, Timothy was raised by a godly grandmother and a godly mother. All right? But I want us to remember that the house that you're in right now is temporary. Little bitty thing. It's only going to last. I mean, even if you make it to 90, my great grandfather made it to 103. Okay? But I want you to know that you are a forever person, every single one of you. But here's the exciting thing about being a forever person God has a forever plan for you, and He has already gone ahead to prepare a forever room for you. Each and every one of us. God has things for each of us that are far beyond what this troubled life can do. I've been going to the doctors the last couple of weeks. I hate doctors. Every time I go in there, i got something else broke. And so they, they're giving me all these tests and all this other stuff. And now they want to send me to a different specialist and a specialist this and a specialist. I'm like, you need a break, people. What's the matter with you? You think I ain't got nothing to do? But then it dawned on me. It's temporary. It's temporary. I, you know, I tell everybody, I said, you know, I can do everything I could do when I was 21. It just takes me a lot longer to heal than it used to. So I don't do it as often or ever. What God has for each of us is far beyond this troubled life. I remember reading a biography by Mickey Mantle, and he said that, quote, had I known I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. Isn't it true? 
Oh, well. But I want you to remember this. God's love for us is beyond time. When the Apostle Paul says we are in Christ, do you understand that he's dealing with beyond time? We get married and there's a phrase that are in our vows that most people have. I, anymore, it's kind of weird because in Colorado, you can take your vows in front of a microwave. But there's a statement that has said, till death do we part. Right? That means that what we have in these temporary housings is until death do we part. Then what? Do you ever think about that? I did. Because God has a master plan for us. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows when the sparrow falls. He knows exactly what's going to happen before you even have a concept of what's going to happen. God's love for you and I is beyond time, and it doesn't disappear until death do we part. It is always there. We each have an incredible promise, and it is being fulfilled. Now, this 11 through 14 is action-packed, people. I mean, I can start off with the inheritance or his purpose works all things after the counsel of his will. We are the first to hope to praise his glory, listening to his message, the gospel of your salvation. You believed, you are sealed in the Holy Spirit of promise. You are given a pledge of our inheritance and a view of the redemption of his own possession. His own possession is you and I. We have obtained an inheritance. Now, I'm just going to lay the foundation for next week, okay? Because I want you to think about something here for a second. All right? When I read verse 11, we have obtained. All right? What's the verb tense there? Past tense. You know what that means, right? I'm not waiting on it. Jesus' death on the cross, when you have a death, you have a door to an inheritance. Jesus died. Guess what? Past tense. You know what that means, right? Because I'm in Him, it has already happened. Okay? Do you understand that the inheritance is right now? You who believes is in your possession right now. And I'll give you this. Some of the inheritance you have right now. Some of the inheritance you will have later. And that's what we'll start out with. The ground of our inheritance, the divine perspective and the human perspective. We'll do that next week. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our inheritance. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for choosing us. But Father, I thank you as the Apostle Paul was overwhelmed of being in Christ. That Father, that your people who are called by your name are in Christ. Help us, Lord. Help us be overwhelmed with that awesome promise. But Father, I also hope 
that if someone today don't know this, don't understand this, that today will be the day that they are in Christ, that they understand that they have been bought from the slave market of sin and been put into the holy house of the Most High God. Thank you, my Lord, for this text. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and his faithfulness. But, Father, I pray for each and every one of us that is here today that we would be found faithful and that, Father, that the passions that we would chase would be to hear, well done, true and faithful servant. To you, my King, my Lord, my Savior, in Christ's name, amen.